thinking of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. No one provides education, selection, and value like Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at Diamonds Direct won't last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. Guess what, Will? What's that, Mango? So there's this fact you always hear about Pablo Escobar. Mm -hmm. At the height of his career, Pablo was bringing in $18 billion a year. God. That's all cash. It was so much money that he was spending $2,500 a month just on rubber bands. Rubber bands? I know. But here's what's crazier. He and his accountant budgeted to lose 10% of that. I mean, Escobar expected to lose $1.8 billion. And the money was going to... Rats. <laughs> rats? What? Know, literal rats. Like, there were so many of them scurrying around his warehouse that he just accepted that the rodents were going to eat his profits. Okay. And you think about it, right? This is Pablo Escobar, the most ruthless kingpin in the world. Right. And he's happy to kill judges and police officers and anyone that's threatening his business. But even he's like, there's no way to beat rats. <laughs> Let's just give them the 10% they deserve. That's how unstoppable rats are. I'd say. Hey there, podcast listeners. You're listening to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and I'm joined by my good friend Mangesh Hatikater. And today we're asking, why have rats outsmarted us for so long? It's a good question. And listeners, I know it sounds disgusting, but I promise you, this is going to be fascinating. We've packed this show with fun. We'll have writer AJ Jacobs on in a little bit. We've got a Part-Time Genius quiz coming up where a couple of our listeners can win some very big and very important prizes. So who do we invite to play in this episode, Mango? Today we ask for librarians and only librarians. And I think next week we're looking for accountants. That sounds right, yeah. And then I think it's pastry chef's name, Kyle. And <laughs> anyway, be sure to follow us, uh, Part-Time Genius, on all the social media thingies, you know, Twitter, Facebook, if you want to come on and compete. So let's dive into today's question, Mango. What do you know about rats? Well, the first thing I learned is that there are some great titles out there about rats, including this book from the 1850s called The Rat 
It's History and Destructive Character. I have to say that title does not sound (laughs) pro-rat. It isn't. It's this famous book in rat studies, and it's great because you can tell that the author, James Rodwell, has zero love for rats. Like, one of the things he does is to challenge the reader to say the word rat slowly, just to confirm how terrible the word sounds. He calls it the foulest word in British zoology. You've got to try it. Um, rat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's not a pretty sounding word. I'll give you that. I know he's right, and it kind of sounds foul. So I got curious and started looking up synonyms in the thesaurus, and I realized there are no pleasant sounding alternatives for the word rat. All right, give me some. Like you know, vermin is one. Rodents. Nars? Nars? I, I know. can't even say Nars. It doesn't even sound like a word. But that's it. That's where the list stops. The only pleasant term I could find for rats was track bunnies. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's what um, subway workers call them when they see a rat on the subway line. You know, track bunnies is almost a little too cute, I think, though. But I, I, I get what you're saying. Rats have a terrible reputation and could use some rebranding. I don't know, maybe like uh, – like Radio Shack rebranded itself the Shack because <laughs> shacks are in right now, I guess. The Shack. Uh, yeah, the fishing industry has done this with what they call trash fish. So instead of calling it the slime head, they renamed it the orange ruffy. Or instead of the Patagonian toothfish, which just sounds disgusting, we got the Chilean sea bass. Yeah, I mean, there, there are tons of these. I think my favorite is how the pilchard goes by the name Cornish sardine. I'd never eat a pilchard, but a Cornish sardine. <laughs> I kind of want some now. I know. I just picture it on like a tiny fork. <laughs> so that's what I'd love to do. Listeners, if you're up for it, we're going to run a little contest to come up with a new name for rats, something that acknowledges the critters are gross but also deserving of admiration. And to the top five geniuses who come up with a rat replacement that's better than, I don't know, uh, sewer kittens, we'll send you a tiny wheel of cheese. All right, sewer kittens. Yes, listeners, please write your suggestions for rebranding the rat, and we'll honor you on our Facebook page. So just to get this out there, I'm totally creeped out by rats, and it's because they're germ elevators. We all know that rats carry ticks and lice with them, and throughout history, they've carried diseases into food sources and into people's homes. Mm-hmm. But they're also just creepy to me. I mean, have you ever seen these <laughs> videos of how rats squeeze their bodies under door frames and through tiny holes? It's just, ah, <laughs> oh, it's so gross. I know that gelatinous body thing is just so disgusting. Like, octopuses can do that too. A good-sized octopus can squeeze through a hole the size of a cherry tomato. Oh. And to be honest, as much as I hate rats... I would be so freaked out if my apartment had an octopus infestation. <laughs> Just a nest of baby octopus hanging out under the sink. <laughs> you remember that Mitch Hedberg bit about how koalas would scatter whenever he turned on the lights in his apartment? That would be so much cuter than rats or octopus. I know, so much more adorable. Here's something I never thought about. I was reading this book Rats by Robert Sullivan, and Sullivan makes this analogy that if you see a grizzly bear, you know you're in the wilderness, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you never see a grizzly bear anywhere else. But what we don't often think about is that if you see a rat, it's also an indicator that humans are nearby. Right, right. I mean, it's no secret that rats thrive by following human populations around. I mean, if you think about it, there really aren't natural predators to pick them off in the city. It's basically just rats versus humans. And just to be clear, while there are plenty of rats out there today, we're really focusing on the Norway rat, also known as the brown rat. Yeah, we should clarify why we're uh, homing in on the Norway rat. 
Well, I mean, there are black rats, too, which are smaller, and they tend to be located in warmer climates, but the brown rats are really the common ones most of us think about. I mean, you might have heard of wharf rats or street rats or barn rats or sewer rats or even – you've heard of all these, I've right? I've heard of all of them. You've, you, keep, you keep a list. These are all just brown rats. I mean, the same rat goes by all these names because they're so adaptable. Yeah, that's right. I mean, basically any rat you've been worried about, including the ones that swim out of toilets. Uh, I know. You're looking at me skeptically. But every year there are 10 to 15 reports of this in Portland, Oregon alone. So you've got to imagine that a good number of rats creep out of toilets across the U.S. I mean – Norway rats are great swimmers, and, of course, they're not really from Norway. Yeah, I guess it's just one of those things where you want to blame another culture for the new type of grossness, like how the Germans <laughs> call the German cockroach the Russian cockroach, and Russians call it the Prussian cockroach, and everyone's happy to blame it on somebody else, which, by the way, the other part of that rat story is that the scientists in England named the rats Norway rats, even though they had come from Denmark. <laughs> the Denmark part of Norway? That's right. Yeah, I mean, he might have been a little bit bad at geography, but at the time, Norway rats had not even yet invaded Norway. That's so weird. The other thing Sullivan mentions as a rule of thumb is that if you see a rat, it means there are 10 more lurking nearby. And if you see a rat during the day, like on the subway tracks, then you're really in trouble because there's definitely a problem. Like, rats love to roam at night. They don't want to be seen. But if they're out running around, it means the population is stressed because there's too much competition for food. Oh, I never thought about it that way. Well, let's get down to it. So we know people hate rats, Mm -hmm. and we know they're lurking in bigger quantities than anyone sees. But why are rats so hard to control? I mean, one of the biggest reasons is that they populate so darn quickly. I heard this crazy thing that if you're in a city at any given moment, you're not that far from rats having sex. <laughs> I can't even think about it. I'm not going to tell you where I heard it. But, uh, I heard it somewhere. So, uh, But rats are really, really good at mating. When rats aren't eating, all they're doing is having sex. I mean, there's, there's no foreplay, no Barry White. It's just <laughs> business. In fact, it's one of the biggest reasons rats are so hard to defeat because a male Norway rat can have sex with 20 different partners in six hours. What? And the math on it's baffling. I mean, think about this. All right, so one pair of rats can churn out 15,000 descendants within a year. Each litter then has eight to ten rats. And if the gestation period is only 21 days, well, that's a lot of rats that are then also eager to make it. It's, it's pretty <laughs> gross, which makes you wonder why we aren't all in the rat-catching business. I know. So while we're on the topic of rat sex, I've got to tell you about my favorite study on the subject. There's this well-regarded scientist from Cairo, Ahmed Shafiq, who's been dead for a while now. But in 1993, he published this experiment in European urology where he tested the effects of various pant materials on the sex drive of rats. Let me get this straight. He made tiny (laughs) pants for rats? He did. The rats went topless. Of course. But he took 75 male rats and had tiny trousers custom made for each of them. (laughs) One group wore 100% cotton pants, another wore wool, another wore a blend, and these rats, they didn't get any less frisky. They just continued to get down, except... <laughs> except for what? Except for the ones dressed in polyester. I mean, this is the amazing part. The ones outfitted in 100% polyester pants started losing their sex drive or their confidence or yeah, something. Yeah, or, or, or something else. So, I don't know, maybe it's the chafing on their tiny rat bits that made them lose interest <laughs> or just being forced to wear polyester. But let me get this straight. What you're saying is... All we have to do to end our war with rats and get them to stop reproducing is to hire an army of tailors, have the millions of brown rats fitted for polyester trousers, (laughs) 
and then sit back and watch the population dwindle? That simple? Yeah. I mean, Mickey Mouse doesn't have kids. And if Disney just swished out his fabric and let his boys breathe a little, maybe he could start that family his mom's always nagging him about. Ah, brilliant. And now it's time for a dramatic reading of America's foremost rat poet, Jack Handy, from his volume, Squeaky Poems, Rhymes About My Rat. Look at her whiskers. Look at her toes. After you've rested, look at her nose. Thank you. So, Mango, who do we have on the line? So we have two librarians, Margaret and Michael, going head-to-head in today's matchup. Now, we wanted librarians and only librarians today because librarians are known to be word people, and we will be playing a word game. But mm-hmm. before we uh, before we get to that, why don't we introduce our two contestants? Uh, we have uh, Margaret on the line. Margaret is a librarian at MIT. Margaret, welcome. Hi. You said that you actually appeared without your permission in a calendar of librarians. A calendar of fictional librarians. But you're not fictional. No, I'm real, at least as far as I can tell. Michael, you are our second contestant, and and I want you to tell us what calendars you've appeared in. I've never appeared on a calendar. Oh, well, okay. Some librarian. (laughs) Exactly. All right, well, Michael, you are in Brooklyn. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Okay, I'm a reference librarian uh, for the Brooklyn Public Library. That's awesome. And you also have a really interesting story, though, as well. In addition to being a librarian, you've been an improv comic now for, what, over a decade? Uh, Yes, uh, 13 years. My specialty is working at the hospitals and nursing homes. I perform at hospitals, and I help run an improv workshop at a nursing home where the people themselves do improv. If anybody's interested in in joining or contributing, it's www.com org, and they can find out more information. That's very, very cool. And I see actually you do. One of your characters is a librarian, so we are now speaking to people that play two fictional librarians. Do either of you have a favorite library in the world? I'm just supposed to pick one. Um, in terms of just like pure knock my socks off best library experience I've ever had, it was visiting the British Library in London, mm-hmm. um, where they keep just they have like an enormous collection of historical manuscripts. And I remember, I think I went from a letter uh, signed by Queen Elizabeth to a copy of the Magna Carta to the manuscript for persuasion resting on Jane Austen's writing desk. And then it's just like I had to sit down for like 45 <laughs> minutes and collect myself. Oh, that's pretty great. All right, well, Mango, what game are our two contestants going to be playing today? So we're going to play a game called Rat in the Middle. All right, so the rules of the game are simple. Every answer is going to have the word rat in it. So, for example, we could ask about the second Star Trek movie because the word wrath in Wrath of Khan has the letters rat in it. We thought it would be fun because you're librarians and you're used to the world of having to be rather quiet in your spaces. We thought we could let you guys uh, maybe chime in with animal noises if that works for you. So, um, Margaret, you want to be our uh, you want to be our mooer. Okay. All right. Michael, you want to uh what what animal would you like to pick? You want to you want a caca? Okay. All right. There we go. <laughs> I do a caca. Well, I see, yeah, that that's it. That's more like it. There we go. 
All right, so we're going to get started here. Remember, you're playing for a big prize. Whoever wins will get a handwritten note from us to your mom or your boss or someone else who is important to you uh, singing your praises. So there's a lot on the line here. Okay, guys? Dang. Question number one. Now, don't forget your noises, and when we hear your noise, we will call on you, and you'll have a chance to answer. While this dinosaur had over 800 teeth, it's more notable for the three horns protruding from its face. Whoa. <laughs> I believe that was Michael with the caca. All right. What's the answer, Michael? Triceratops. Well done. I love how you emphasize the, uh, the rat there. So, all right. Question number two. You ready to move, Margaret? I think this one might be yours. I'm ready. I'm ready. This is a good one. Elvis Presley was a practitioner of this martial art. And in fact, in 1974. (laughs) Oh. All right. Hold on. I'll finish the question. He shot a documentary called The New Gladiator, hoping it would propel it into the mainstream. What do you think, Michael? Karate. Karate, yeah. well done. All right. It's a very logical answer. It was a very logical <laughs> very answer. You're, you're still not in a calendar, Michael. All right. Here we go. Number three. The Beach Boys and Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch both had a hit song with this rat word in its title. Caca! Mm. Was that a moo I heard? <laughs> what, what do you think, Michael? Uh, vibrations. That's absolutely right. Okay. Here we go. All right, I'm going to skip to another one here. All right. I'm shaming MIT. Uh, No, it's okay. (laughs) This is okay. This Sasha Baron Cohen character is known for being the sixth. Oh, there we go. What do you say, Margaret? Yeah, finally. All right. Well done. All right, one more question here. Question number five. Lisa and Bart are obsessed with this violent Tom and Jerry ripoff on The Simpsons. Was that a sound? No. Okay, here we go. Go for it. The Itchy and Scratchy Show. Well done. All right. All right, Mango. So what's our final tally here? So we've got Michael in first place with three points and Margaret in second place with two points. Michael, our letter to your mom will be in the mail shortly. And because we don't want anyone's mailbox to feel too lonely, Margaret, we're going to send you a potato from Potato Parcel, the world's premier site for sending a potato through the Postal Service. Thank you both for playing. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com governance. IBM. Let's create. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, 
Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. So one thing I found surprising was just how new rat studies are. In fact, I was actually thrown off by how new rats are to the United States. Like, historically, they're documented in Southeast Asia, then they move up through China, they invade Siberia, and they march into Russia— and then they sneak onto ships and move across the water with people. But, and this is hard to fathom, rats didn't even arrive in places like Spain until 1800. That is pretty crazy. I mean, you imagine rats have just always been around and part of the cultural fabric, but it's true. They only invaded states like Montana in the 1920s or so. Yeah, and and just to drive that point home, you know James Audubon, the dude who studied birds? Of course. He also studied rats and did rat paintings. And according to Sullivan, when Audubon showed his paintings to members of Congress, and we're talking about the early 1800s here, a number of them mistook the rats for squirrels. <laughs> like, these were educated men, many who worked farms, and they couldn't tell a rats from squirrels. It, is, it can be tough sometimes, though. <laughs> you have to admit that. I mean, it, it's a little odd. But, but you're right. The government only started studying the animals during World War II, back when we thought the Nazis might harness rodents to spread disease all across Europe. In fact, people who wanted to study rats before, they had to do it on the sly. So hmm. take Elmer McCollum, for instance. He was one of the pioneers at Johns Hopkins in the early 1900s. But he started his research with rats at the University of Wisconsin. But the thing is, he had to do it in secret because, and I'm quoting, the Wisconsin state legislature would not support public expenditures on room and board of rats, a pest <laughs> to the Wisconsin. I guess they paid tuition. I don't know. But I thought it was a weird quote. That's so weird. But what we've learned about rats in the last 70 years is incredible. And it's basically that they're little geniuses. Like, they've followed us across continents. They have this extraordinary sense of smell. They're homebodies. Like, they really don't travel more than 65 feet from their nests. Unless they have to, in which they can travel great distances and tread water for like three days at a time. They can be dropped from heights of 50 feet without injuring themselves. <laughs> I mean, that's five stories off the ground. And they're really adaptable. Like if rats have been born in an alley that serves Indian food, they'll have a preference for samosas and curries and spicy foods. And they don't even eat that much food, only like three to four ounces a day. Yeah, I'd say that's uh, that's pretty adaptable. They're also super cooperative. Like in one study from 2012, rats were offered a chocolate chip treat or the opportunity to free a fellow rat. And over and over, they freed the rat first, and then they shared the treat. And in studies where two rats had to press their own buttons at the same time to release treats, they quickly learned to cooperate. And this was the craziest to me. They're really sensitive, kind of like humans. Like, if one of them gets stressed, 
they bring that energy back to the nest and all of the rats get stressed. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> the other thing I was reading about was just how suspicious they are of anything new, which of, of course is why pest control is so hard. Right. So we've established they're really reproductive unless they're sporting polyester and they're really smart. Why haven't humans figured out a way to keep them in check? Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the funny things that keeps coming up in history is that we kind of keep forgetting about rats until we're actually confronted with them again. So it's kind of an out-of-sight, out-of-mind thing. But as soon as we do see them, we move super quickly, right? So in the 1960s, Ebony Magazine did this spread of housing projects in New York where the apartments were so dilapidated and drafty that children were under thick blankets trying to protect themselves from the cold. Huh. This wasn't at night. This was during the day, and the public was largely unmoved by the scene. But then people from the building started catching rats and bringing them into courts and showing the rats to the press. That's when the public opinion huh. shifted. So, And the odd part is that this happens over and over. Like in the 1930s, the New York Times had stories about the atrocious rat infestation on Rikers Island. You know, this is the, the prison island between Queens and, and the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Well, the rat problem was so bad that the guards bought a dog to control the rats. You know what the rats did? They actually killed the dog. So it was <laughs> it was that bad. And pretty soon the officers on the island were dumping poison and discussing bringing snakes onto the island to deal with the rats. But New York totally ignored the situation until the rats swam from the island to this super exclusive summer community on Long Island Sound. And you know when these ultra-rich beachgoers saw rats on their beach? (laughs) They weren't having it. Yeah, that makes sense. But let's get zen for a second. This is actually one of the themes that keeps coming up in Sullivan's book. And it's that exterminators have this Sisyphus-like task. They're given this enormous job of trying to control the rodent population. But as soon as they stop seeing rats, their budgets get cut. So no one wants to admit they exist. And it's crazy because, like, pest controllers will work at five-star hotels. And when they do that, they have to work in disguise. Or when they introduce themselves at parties or on a first date, they kind of have to tread carefully. And so you you kind of come away feeling sorry for them, but also with this tremendous sense of respect. Like, the best exterminators, they actually work as rat czars, and they're essentially archaeologists. Archaeologists? What, what do you mean by that? Like, the rats won't travel far from home, but they will travel deep. So a good exterminator actually sees those city in layers. Hmm. They study old maps. And so in New York, for instance, a real student will decipher that a new sewer system is built on top of a system from the 1800s. And that might be built on one from the 1700s. And that might be over where a stream used to be. Yeah. And while those places aren't really functional or even accessible to humans anymore, there's no doubt that there's a rat population that's made a home for themselves there. And as long as they can still get to a food source. Well, the other thing I think that's kind of fascinating is how you were telling me that Sullivan almost compares catching rats to, I think you said, fly fishing. Yeah, like you kind of have to know the rhythm of the rat population and where they're flowing and accept that it's going to take a while. And you've got to go in with this mentality that the rats are going to come to you. I guess I'd never thought about rats being so zen. Thank you. Now for another dramatic reading from Squeaky Poems, Rhymes About My Rat, by America's foremost rat poet, Jack Handy. What more's a man need than a scotch and a rat, and maybe a gun to rest in his lap?
So our guest today is one of our favorite people in the world, right, Mango? Yeah, definitely top 40. Oh, easily top 40. So for the past several years, he's thrown himself into these crazy experiments and written about them, whether it was reading the entire Encyclopedia Britannica from A to Z, living an entire year according to the laws of the Old Testament, working to bring his body to peak health through diet and exercise, or working to build the world's largest family reunion. He's always ready to dive in. Oh, and he's a distant relative of Michael Jackson, which he can tell us about. A.J. Jacobs, welcome to Part-Time Genius. Thank you, guys. Happy to be here. You're in my top 42. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, this is so flattering. That's it's really what we were fishing for there, to be honest with you. So. All right. Maybe top 35, even. Oh, yeah. wow, wow. So, A.J., it's, it's hard to believe it's been over a decade since you wrote Know-It-All and read the entire Encyclopedia Britannica from cover to cover, but I'm assuming you've managed to retain it all? Uh, pretty much everything, yeah, except for maybe one or two facts in the A's. Those were early on. No, unfortunately, I've forgotten, I'd say a good 99.8%, but still 0.2% is better than, you know, I, uh, better than when I started. So remind us, did, did you actually sit down and read every single entry, every single page of Encyclopedia Britannica? I did. I did. I started at AAK, A-A-K, which is a type of Korean uh, music, as I'm sure you know. And then I ended at Zivich, Z-Y-W-I-E-C. Oh, wow. So I read, and that's a town in Poland. Right. Of course. Again, not, not to split. Sure. So, yes, I read the whole thing. And I did it because my dad, when I was a kid, he started to read the encyclopedia. He loved learning. He loved reading. But he only made it to the middle of the beach, like uh, Bolivia or so. Uh, and I figured, you know, why not try to finish what he began and remove that black mark from our family history? <laughs> <laughs> I like that you were worried about spoiling the reading of the Encyclopedia Britannica. So as though anybody would even know where to find a printed encyclopedia <laughs> at this point. Uh, <laughs> I know it's true. I tell my kids and they're like, what are you talking about? That? What is this mysterious encyclopedia? So, AJ, one of the things I love reading in your books is these stories of your wife's bemusement and also her beleaguered responses to things. And I was curious, both what project has been like the most difficult on your family and if you've abandoned anything because it's been too hard? As you know, it's the one about following all the rules of the Bible as literally as possible. So I had the the Bible says no shaving, so I had this huge beard. She didn't love that. <laughs> she did not kiss me for literally seven months. There was no physical contact. Um, I don't know if this is appropriate to uh, to your show, but I'll just throw it out there. And, but the Bible says in Leviticus that you cannot touch women during their time of months. Mm-hmm. And if you take it, the Bible really literally you cannot sit in a seat where a, a woman, a menstruating woman, has sat because the seat becomes impure. And my wife found that offensive, so she sat in every <laughs> seat why. in our apartment. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, Good no, for no, her. I like yeah. this. I also love that you, you actually stoned someone, right? The, <laughs> as part of the book. I did. So I was in uh, sort of the middle of the year. I was getting very into it, so I'm uh, following... Everything and I looked biblical, so I had the beard and the, a white robe and sandals. And I was in Central Park in New York, where I live. And I, a man came up to me and said, "Why are you dressed like that?" And I explained, "Well, I'm trying to follow all the rules of the Bible, the, right. from the Ten Commandments to stoning adulterers." He says, 
well, I'm an adulterer. Are you going to stone me? <laughs> and I said, well, that would be fantastic. <laughs> So in recent years, you've been obsessed with genealogy and proving that we're all related. You even have a terrific podcast, one of our favorites called Twice Removed, where you focused on this. What have been some of the more interesting findings from this obsession of yours? Yeah, this started because I got this strange email from this guy who said, you don't know me, but I'm your eighth cousin. (laughs) And I thought he was going to, you know, ask, here's my bank account in Nigeria. Please wire $10,000. But uh, it turned out he's just part of this group that are building these massive family trees that are trying to connect everyone in the world. And the biggest one is literally now 120 million people all connected. So I found out, this is exciting, is uh, I am Barack Obama's relative. He is my fifth great aunt's husband's brother's wife's seventh great nephew. So we are very close. They're almost like brothers. You guys are tight. Yeah. What's up next for you, AJ? What are you you thinking about now? I am actually, I've got another book uh, that I'm doing with TED Books, and I'm going to take something normal, uh, something I use every day, a cup of coffee, uh, and then I'm going to go around the world and try to thank everyone involved in making that cup of coffee a reality so that's the people really awesome. who take the beans and i hope so i hope so i don't know we'll see it is um so i have to do that at some point <laughs> well since you've been uh the subject of so many studies we thought it was only appropriate for you to join us in this episode to answer some questions about rats so are you up for this high stakes quiz aj I am. I love rats. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what quiz are we playing with AJ today? We're playing a game called Fancy Rats. And the good news for AJ is it's a true-false quiz. All right. Oh, that is good. That is good. (laughs) Okay, here we go. I think we have five questions for you, AJ. The first one, true or false? The fanny pack was originally invented by a rat fancier who often used the pouch to sneak his lucky rat Theodore into bowling alleys with him. Is this true or false? Oh, man, I love it. I want it to be true very much. (laughs) And I actually was at some party recently, and, like, the the funkiest person there was wearing a fanny pack. So I'm I'm hoping that we're seeing a resurgence of fanny packs among (laughs) the hipster crowd. Uh, I'm going to say that is weird enough that it's got to be true. Oh, I know it's false. I want it to be. I know. Oh. All right. The <laughs> second the question. Facts. That's right. All right. I'm 0 for 1. Second question. True or false? Before he transitioned to being a mouse in 2012, Chuck from Chuck E. Cheese was formerly a rat, an unusual mascot for a children's arcade slash pizza parlor. What do you think? True or false? Oh, that's a good one. Oh, that's a good one. And uh, I feel like I ought to go through again because uh, you wouldn't do – you wouldn't do two falses in a row. That's you. right. Really tricky. Oh, but man. you guys are really tricky. All right. But You're right. True. I'm going to. Oh, thank true. God. True. He was God. born a cigar chomping New Jersey rat and initially went by the name Rick. <laughs> I like that we threw like that in that. there. Rick. Rick the rat. Rick the rat. All right. Good job. One, you, nice. are, you are one out of two. Number three, true or false, in 2016, Researchers discovered something that rat fanciers have long known, that rats laugh when tickled. I feel I read that somewhere, not in the encyclopedia. <laughs> so I'm going to say yes. You are absolutely <laughs> right. Yeah, they giggle at an <laughs> ultrasonic volume that's too high pitched for us to hear. Ah, good job. All right. 
Number four, true or false, in fancy rat circles, the critter or pet that changed your mind about rats is called a heart rat. <laughs> um, and I do know, this is the one, one of the few facts I remember about rats, is that they do get bad PR, because uh, I think a couple of years ago, didn't they find that it was probably gerbils who spread the Black Plague and yeah, not rats? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, uh, You're yeah, onto something here. A little... That was my heart rat. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say true. Yeah, it's true. And yeah. uh, it's odd because that phrase doesn't work for everything. Like no one talks about their heart Bruce Willis. Look who's talking is my uh, heart Bruce That's your Bruce heart Willis. Bruce Willis? Yeah, I think that's mine too, actually. So you're on a roll here, AJ. So let's see if we can finish strong. Question number five. Angelina Jolie once had a pet rat named Harry, but gave it up when it started chewing through too many of her curtains. True or false? Uh, well, I feel I used to work at Entertainment Weekly and I feel I did a lot. Like she had a vial of Billy Bob Thornton's blood. Right. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's like a, maybe it's a, a, a vicious rumor, but I feel I've heard that. Mm. Uh, so I'm going to say true. Wow. True. This guy finished strong. (laughs) What a fun. Yeah, Yeah, which means you won our big prize, which is our endless admiration. Wow. (laughs) That may have bumped him up like into the top 30 or so, I think, at this point. So. Well, AJ, we can't wait to check out your uh, your next book. And, of course, everybody should uh, check out your podcast, Twice Removed. But thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, guys. I'm huge fans. I'm so excited you're doing this podcast and uh, honored to be a part of it and, uh, and ruin it by talking about my wife's menstruation. <laughs> <laughs> What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com consulting. IBM. Let's create. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb. Tuning out all the constant. 
the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. All right, so let's bring this all home. Is there hope for humans in this war with rats? So it seems like there are only a few solutions because rats have been resistant to poisons and they're really just so clever. And one is, and this isn't happening anytime soon, but we could all turn vegan because rats are not fans of raw vegetables. Yeah, I'd say that's not happening anytime soon. (laughs) Or we can make a move to things like metal garbage cans because it all comes down to basically starving out the rats and protecting our garbage. Or by abandoning a place and having them try to live without us. Or, uh... What's, what's the other option? Well, this is kind of the best hope, and that's birth control. You're saying put them on the pill? Yeah, like, since the polyester pants thing seems like a stretch, this might be the best option. There's this new EPA-approved birth control for rats. It's been made super sweet and really fat-rich because rats have even more of a sweet tooth than us. And it basically spurs mousopause. Mousopause. I know, which is the cutesy term scientists use for rat menopause. But it triggers it super early so that the populations can't breed. Poor rats, gonna have hot flashes, all that. <laughs> well, it's better than having them in your cupboards, right? True. But that's the great hope for now and how we'll finally win this battle against the grossest of foes. Um, and actually there's one more school of thought on this and that is to do nothing. Wait, that makes no sense. We were just going through why rats are winning <laughs> this war. Why would we ignore them? Well, the thought is because rats are super sensitive, when we kill a rat, its peers tend to feel the danger and start varying from their norm. And when that happens, they run into other rats and scrape it up, and that's really where pathogens cross and diseases spread and mutate. So if you can get the rat colonies to stay to themselves and sort of curb the diseases, that's kind of what scientists think might be the best you can ask for. That's crazy, though. Anyway, if you're interested in the subject, you should definitely read Robert Sullivan's Rats, which formed the backbone of this episode. All right, you know what time it is, Mango. Uh, time for the fact off? You bet it is. This is the part of the show <laughs> where we get to use the fascinating things we learned in our research for this episode but didn't get a chance to mention. And I kind of have a feeling Mango intentionally held back a few just for this big moment. So why don't you go first, Mango? So this one is totally gross. Back in the 1850s, gamblers in New York City used to crowd into halls to watch and bet on the sport called ratting. Ratting? Yeah, like basically a guy would show up with a big, misshapen sack full of rats. And when the ref said go, he'd let all of the animals just spill out. (laughs) And then they'd let a dog go after them. And people would bet on how many rats a trained dog could kill in a short period of time. So you got to imagine the scene, right? People are betting and yelling in this terrier because terriers are just the best at this. This terrier is going crazy while rats are running around. And it's horrible and super popular and bloody. But that's disgusting. I know, but that's not even the weird part, right? Ratting was considered a man sport because it was so vicious. Like a single dog could kill a hundred rats in six minutes or something. But to expand the audience and make it more palatable for women and children, they'd organize the same thing in the afternoons, but they'd replace the dog with a weasel. Oh, of course, right, because that's not (laughs) 
gross at all. I know. They honestly thought if watching a weasel kill a bag of rats was more appropriate for kids or something. But anyway, that, that was America's favorite uh, spectator sport until baseball took over. Okay, that's that's a gross way to start this one. Good, good job on this one. All right. So all this talk of rats made me want to go to a place where there are no rats. And it turns out that's what Alberta, Canada is all about. <laughs> In fact, if we're being honest, it might be the number one reason to go to Alberta. Alberta's huge. It's actually bigger than France or any country in the EU. But it's so committed to the rat-free bit that they've dedicated a rat patrol monitoring the borders for rats. And anytime there's an infestation, they bring in heavy machinery and dig out the entire nest to eradicate it. So in big years, they'll find maybe two or three infestations across the region. But most years, they're not any. Huh. That's kind of crazy. Uh, so this is a super simple one, but it makes me happy. Did you know that male rats are called bucks and females are called does? I did not know that. I know. And the best part of it is that you can sing the sound of music song with new lyrics. Like, doe, a rat, Let's, let's a not theme. do that. Let's, <laughs> I, I get the idea. That's a good one. That's a good one. All right. Rats are subject to peer pressure. If they see a bunch of their friend rats eating something unappetizing, they'll join in too. Rapper Tupac Shakur studied ballet in high school and starred in The Nutcracker as The Mouse King. <laughs> oh, bring it some Tupac. Wow, well done. You get an po- extra point for that one. All right, fancy rat owners practice something called rodentistry. You're not going to believe this one. So where they'll open up their mouths and let a rat nibble and pick food from their teeth. What? They're basically outsourcing the job of flossing to their pets. That's crazy. You have to YouTube this. I'm not, I'm not kidding. It's so gross. The owners will just lean back and the rats get really deep in their mouths. <laughs> it's because rats have a grooming behavior where they'll clean each other's teeth and rat parents basically consider it the ultimate compliment. So you have to YouTube it. <laughs> um, well, I cannot top that. So you win this week's fact off. Thank and you. To our listeners out there, please send in your suggestions for rebranding the rat and we'll make sure you get a fun prize out of it. And you know, Will, there's one last part of the show that we need to deal with, the Part-Time Genius Award. That's right. And today, I'd like to nominate the author of the best book I read last year, The Stench of Honolulu. Of course. And also America's preeminent rat poet. That's right, Mr. Jack Handy. You'll be added to our Hall of Genius, and we'll be mailing you a certificate to hang on your fridge. Congratulations, Jack Handy. And in honor of Jack Handy, why don't we read one last poem from America's Greatest Rap Poet to close the show? I think that's a fine idea. The Middle Ages were the best of times to be a rat. You could point to a man with plague and say, I gave him that. Thank you. Until next time, we're Will and Mango for Part-Time Genius. Thanks again for listening to Part-Time Genius. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. And because we're a brand new show, if you're feeling extra generous, we'd love it if you give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Part-Time Genius is produced by some of our favorite geniuses. It's edited by Tristan McNeil, theme song and audio mixing by Noel Brown. Our executive producer is Jerry Rowland. Our research team is Gabe Luzier, Lucas Adams, Autumn Whitefield Madrano, Austin Thompson, and Meg Robbins. Jason Hoke is our chief cheerleader.
Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top ten for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.